0: Hi, this is Kevin McCullough. Thanks for listening to the Christian Outlook podcast, where we cover today's issues from a perspective that honors your Christian faith. Our podcast is brought to you through a partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I trust you'll enjoy. Part of the the point that you've made in a number of books is the, this dramatic, super clear difference, really, between the American Revolution and the French Revolution, of course, 1776 uh, and 1780. 17- um, eighty nine uh, when you refer to uh, you earlier said that there were five revolutions there 's the English and the American, and then we have of course the French, the soviet uh, Russian, and then the Chinese revolution through which you yourself lived, and you touched on that last night these couldn 't be more dramatically different we mm-hmm. We have two that are founded uh in ideas that really stem from God and the Bible, and then the three that are dedicatedly against God and the Bible. Um, and, and you uh, lived through the last of these, these horrors in China. I don't know if you want to touch on that as you come into this uh, converse, into the subject.
1: Well, Eric, my book tries to go back to the roots in Exodus of the American Revolution which people need to know, but also to understand the deep roots of the radical left. And we are talking about the blue-leaning Christian groups. And I think they're naive because they don't understand it. I, I base my thinking here on Jim Billington, the great librarian of Congress, who points out the French Revolution only lasted 10 years in France, but like a huge volcanic explosion, the lava flow has come out ever since. And we're dealing in America with the third Lava flow. The first was revolutionary nationalism. Very important, but not our problem. Second is revolutionary socialism or communism. And although that's the best known of the three, it's not really America's problem today. We're talking about revolutionary liberationism or cultural Marxism. And, for example, many Christians don't realize that the political revolution, say race Marxism, Goes all the way back to the same place in Paris, Palais Royal, where the sexual revolution came from, sex Marxism. And a lot of Christians don't connect the dots, and so they don't realize the gravity of it. So, say the sex revolution, people think it's Playboy and Hugh Hefner and the pill, far more radical than that. And the sexual revolution is against the family and against the church. And it is literally, if you read, say, Reich, Wilhelm Reich, trying to subvert 3,000 years of Western civilization. Well,
0: many times on this program, John Zmirak uh, has said th- that it starts with the Marquis de Sade. We, we really oh, can't forget the just extremely radical nature, uh, the vile, offensive nature. We, we somehow try to pretty it up and make it sound like, oh, it's about freedom or something. And when you actually look at it, it's, her- it's horrific, but m- most people, m- myself uh, until recently included, d- didn't really uh, know that that part of it had come out of the French Revolution over 200 years mm-hmm. ago.
1: And you look even at the church, say, when, <clears throat> when I came to faith in the 60s, the challenge was theological liberalism, or what we call revisionism, and most Catholics and evangelicals stood firm faithfully. But now with the sexual revolution, they're capitulating all over the place. And you can see many of our blue-leaning friends haven't traced the roots back to see how radical and subversive it is and where you've got to stand very, very clearly today, although with courage and a cost.
0: Yeah, with courage and a cost. Uh, It's it's interesting. Last night uh, at the patrons' dinner following the event, and I mentioned this earlier, someone asked the question – about uh, what James Hunter calls faithful presence. Uh, the idea, in a sense, that we shouldn't um, maybe be so vocal about... I, I, I immediately, I guess the, the, the thing is, to me, what people tend to do is caricaturize good things. when, And, of course, I've written about it a lot, and in my most recent book, Letter to the American Church, when Wilberforce sets uh, himself to... Abolish the slave trade. There were many people at the time who said well, you shouldn't be mixing your faith and politics. You know, you have no business doing that. We applaud Bonhoeffer <laughs> who stood against the, the Nazis. But in our day, many people who would be maybe left leaning, as soon as you talk about trying to bring your faith into the public square to to to, to bless people in every sphere. In other words, not just. Uh, Theologically, But you say, I'm, I want to abolish slavery, or I want to bring free market values to, so that poor people can lift themselves up, or I want to stand against critical race theory because it's harming communities of color. As soon as people talk about that, there are voices that instantly say, you should not talk about that, just stick to the gospel. Mm-hmm. And last night you, you made some, uh, I thought, important comments about how— faithful presence isn't enough?
1: Well, the way I mean, I wasn't attacking James. but No, of course not. What I'm attacking is I go around the country and people say, I want to be faithful, keeping my head down like the early church. And I say that's entirely the wrong parallel. The early church was under an imperial dictatorship, no question. Whereas America is a free republic based on the Hebrew Republic. And in the Hebrew Republic, one of the principles was every Jew responsible for every Jew. You love your neighbor as yourself, like the three musketeers, one for all, all for one. Now, that means that every American is responsible for the American Republic. And so for American Christians to quit that, it's a terrible failure of discipleship, calling in every inch of life but it's also a terrible deficiency of discipleship, of uh, citizenship. And so I totally disagree with those Christians, but if you look back over 50 years, evangelicals, because we're basically talking about them now, they swung between an overly privatized faith, privately engaging, publicly irrelevant, or sometimes an overly politicized faith. And the number of people who've had a clear philosophy in between have been the minority. So politicization's wrong. Privatization's wrong. And we've got to be fully engaged, but doing, as the old 19th century saying was, doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Well,
0: I think, you know, if, if, if somebody, I, I think uh, people on the left uh, uh, who are evangelicals, whether it's uh, maybe James Hunter or Russell, Moore or even Tim Keller, th- these are people that I have been friends with. They, they seem to, when when you bring up something, I mean, if it were something like I am on a crusade to abolish the slave trade. It seems to me that today, effectively, they're saying you're, you're being too political. And I would say, no, this is a necessary outworking of my faith. And I'm not going to make an idol of politics or an idol of success, but I express my faith by trying to take on these things which are harming people. It would be like saying you're, too, you're spending too much time feeding the poor. focus on the Bible and you'd say well that 's what the Bible says to do, and so I think we kind of go round and round in, in a way you mentioned um, the idea of people referring to first century Christianity and saying that we you know we need to be where they were, just be a faithful presence and I think I've said the same thing, I thought, well, wait a minute, (laughs) we're not not under the Roman yoke. We, each of us, has the freedom and in a way the duty to live out our freedom uh, by expressing what we believe to be true. Um, uh, Unfortunately, we're going to go to another break, but we still have time with Oz Guinness. Uh, Folks, if you're not aware of Socrates in the City, please go to socratesinthecity.com where you will soon be able to listen to the conversation I had last night with Oz touching on these subjects. I was just referencing this idea that that you mentioned, that that some people seem to say that our model needs to be first century Christianity. Um, So I was horrified to read in this book, by Andy Stanley, one of the key ways in which the book horrified me was when he did, when he said exactly that. And I thought, you've got to be kidding. We have the freedom. And I would say the duty to express our faith in every sphere, to bless anyone we can bless through whatever means we can bless them. Um, so the idea that we're, we're, under the Roman yoke, that we should uh, impose that on ourselves. Mm-hmm. People have died so that we could have the freedom, so that we could live out our faith in these ways. And, and where do you get this horrible idea uh, that, you, you know, that it's somehow consonant, uh, that it would be consonant for us to behave as though we're living under the Roman yoke? It's just extraordinary to me. And I think ultimately it's an excuse not to be engaged, uh, or or it's an excuse for people to say, well, that's not my lane, I'm not going to bother with reforms or social reforms?
1: No, I think they're squandering a historic opportunity. You know, I have done Zooms to China, and Chinese Christians raising questions about freedom, thinking that it will come. Or a couple of weeks ago, I did a similar Zoom with Ukraine, And the courage of them, 50 of them had lost their homes since the previous Zoom I'd done. And they were discussing how they should advance freedom after the war. Now, that's real courage, like our brothers and sisters in Poland under communism. So for people in this country to squander the moment, they should think, it isn't just America we're talking about. If this is biblical freedom, God's vision of freedom and justice for humanity, we are the key to going forward. So if the West ends, who knows whether China will be the leader or whether the global church in Africa, Asia, could be in the pioneers of advancing human freedom. We're playing for incredible stakes at this generation. And people are quitting, just keeping their heads down. Their silence has been bought. For me, it's lamentable and outrageous because they're missing an historic
0: moment. Well, you say their silence has been bought. I mean, that's really almost literally true. Uh, there, there are, I mean, there are people who have endorsed the, the book I mentioned by Andy Stanley, and I was simply astonished. I thought, How can that person fail to understand that what uh, what Reverend Stanley is saying is not only historically uh, inapt but theologically confused it 's misleading many people because there are many people that they want to hear that they want they want to hear oh i don 't need to be mm-hmm. political. I can vote for whoever i don't i don 't need to re- it, it, these are separate issues i don 't need to worry about the issue of the unborn or the issue of uh, America continuing uh, in the in the the vision of the found with the vision mm-hmm. of the founders that that's all that 's all separate and These are really pernicious ideas and i 'm horrified at how many in the church don 't understand this and it 's why I wrote my most recent book letter to the American Church because I thought this is this is really um you 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 mentioned it's a, to say it's the squandering of an opportunity i think it's worse than that because i think that w- we've been um honored by god with the uh we've been honored by god w- with being able to stand for for these things for and to live these things out to have this freedom that we could really help the whole world see what a more biblical view of things might mm-hmm. look like. And to say, no, I think I'll pass, it's a horror to me. I mean, it's, it's, it's the mm-hmm. same thing as what the German pastors did in the 30s when they said, we're not going to stick our, our heads up uh, above the parapet. We'll stay down here and just stick to preaching the gospel. And then you say, well, what, what gospel are you preaching? And then you want to know, how long do you think you'll get to preach this gospel if you don't fight for these other things.
1: hmm No, I often say I um, wake up outraged and sometimes ready to weep at what we see happening, the folly of Christians failing to understand. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The only difference between you and me is I never name names, In other words, I try and go for the principles involved. Well, but I mean, I think not that people. We,
0: if people want to think of it as ad hominem, I have to be very clear that it, it's certainly not that. And the reason I say what I say and, and write what I write is in the hopes of reasoning uh, w- with these folks or at least helping them understand what it is that they're saying and the effect that it's having. But I would never uh, you know, I want to be friends with people with whom I disagree. I, I don't. So if they, they choose to take it that way, uh, I would say that would be on them.
1: But one I... of the terrible things that's happening, though, is I call it, in one word, respectability. In other words, you appear on certain shows or you write for certain magazines or papers. Eventually, it shows, and the lack of courage is slowly softened and softened. And we've seen far too much of that, that subtle lure of respectability
0: well that 's that 's the case. I mean, if you want to uh, appear in the New York Times, you don 't say certain things. Mm-hmm. Well, I have now said those things, and so i won 't be published in The New York Times. but I think to myself, my goodness, life is short uh, we We have to deal with where we are, and things have become radicalized and it's it 's very unfortunate but there there is a lot of that, uh, and I think that if we 're too careful we won 't uh, we won't have anything to, f- to fight for very soon because we're we're seeing, I mean, just what came out recently with Twitter. I mean, a lot of people suspected it, but to see that kind of corruption, that kind of disdain for fundamental American values like free speech and actual journalism, I mean, I think we have to be clear. We're living in an astonishing moment. We can't pretend otherwise, or we shouldn't.
1: No, my books are pretty extreme. You know, if you, we haven't gone into... Zero Hour America, but I argue you can see the present crisis in three words. Revolution, oligarchy, or homecoming. And we really are very close to the point of no return. And Americans better wake up and make those choices that have incredible consequences, but realize the stakes. And many people don't, and they're just ambling along. And so again and again in D.C., oh, it's just another swing. Yeah, well, that's a, exactly a cycle. that's exactly you know what, what I hear not? and I say
0: that's nonsense. That's yeah. not a, I mean that would be like saying in the thirties, it's just another swing. Yeah, a swing to the death camps, you just consider that another swing and you're gonna ride it out and hope you don't get sent to the death camps? That's really not quite right. I I think it's uh again, it's 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 human nature, but I, I'm just grateful to you for speaking about it as you've done uh, in both of these books, Zero Hour America and the Magna Carta of Humanity. Uh, we've just got a few minutes left. What should we touch on that we haven't? Can you say, uh, give us at least 60 seconds or 90 of where you, how you, how you grew up, uh, of, of what happened to you in China that mm-hmm. gave you some of these views?
1: Part of the passion I bring to this is because I saw communism as a boy face up. Because I remember the day in 1949 when my dad said to me, son, we're in trouble. Chiang Kai-shek has just abandoned the city and we're at the mercy of the Red Army. And in they came. And they festooned the city with loudspeakers between the lampposts. And in the morning, there were trials. And parents were informing against their children and children against their parents, because the fear was so palpable. And in the afternoon, the public executions. So I was there at the beginning. And of course, now historians would say Mao Zedong may have killed up to 50 to 75 million of his own fellow Chinese. But it began in 1949 with that terrible climax of the revolution. So I will never be... And My wife Jenny and I remember... Eastern Europe under the Soviets, what it was like to go through wonderful countries like Czechoslovakia and so on, and know what people were like living in Poland and Czechoslovakia. So I'm incredibly realistic about Marxism. As I often say, look at the whole history of the radical left. Americans wake up. The revolutions of the left never succeed. And the oppressions of the radical left Never end, and Americans are so naive at so many points
0: I, I think that, that that accounts really for a number of the folks that i 've mentioned having the views that they do, and I want to challenge them and ask them to, um, to look to look a little deeper because we are uh, we 're going to see some horrible things if um, people in the church particularly don 't wake up. Um, to where we are. Oz, uh, I'm amazed we're already out of time, but just so grateful to you on so many levels. My friend, thank you.
1: Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Christian Outlook. Our program is coming to you today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy.
0: It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you enjoy our podcast, take a moment and tell a friend to subscribe today.